We're there. All right. Just going by sheer numbers, I have to say the victory goes to Canada today. So, <laughs> All right. Would you pray with me, please? Lord Jesus, we do uh, thank you and praise you for who you are. Thank you that you are our mighty God, that you are our Savior, and that you are always present with us. We pray that you would be present with us now as we open your word, that your word would become for us living and powerful and real in ways that shape who we are, and that we would become more and more like you as we encounter you today. For these things, we ask for your uh, presence and your blessing and your spirit's power in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. So this summer, uh, as uh, many of you know, we have been engaged in a uh, sort of a little series on missional living, thinking about what does it mean for us to be a congregation that lives not just individually, but that lives uh, together jointly on mission uh, in our community. And we are not just talking about uh, living on mission uh, in, in, in ways that say we're not doing it, we ought to do it, and uh, try harder and work harder and, and uh, get more clever and be more thoughtful. Uh, just trying harder to get on mission isn't the way to get on mission. Uh, what we've been saying in this series is that not only are we called to live on mission, but we have to be formed in order to live on mission. Uh, there are some things that we just simply can't do until God does that in us, in order for us to join God on mission uh, in this place and in this community. And so uh, we've talked about the idea that every single person here has been formed in some ways, right? Uh, we don't have a choice as to whether or not we are formed. We're being formed from our, our earliest days uh, being alive, right? We're formed uh, by the way that our parents hold us and our, our, our mother looks at us. We're formed by the experiences that we have in childhood. We're formed in all sorts of ways by the hurts and the wounds that we accumulate as we grow up. We're formed by the traumas that we have. We're formed in some ways uh, when we just have way too much of really good things. Right? We're, we're formed by the gaps that we have in our lives. We're formed by the things that are missing, by the needs that weren't met, uh, by uh, affections or uh, 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 support that was withheld. We're formed in all sorts of ways. We don't have a choice about that. In, in many ways, we're just sort of uh, carried along by that uh, stream of formation that's always happening. And so in order for us to get onto mission, we have to be formed again. Uh, Maybe we use the word transformed. We have to be transformed. We have to be transformed in specific and intentional ways. Not just in automatic ways where we're just carried along, but we have to be transformed in ways that, that we're uh, intentionally and thoughtfully cooperating with the work that God wants to do to form us into the sorts of beings and to, into the sorts of creatures that can join him on mission. And so that's what we've been talking about. We've been talking about what does it look like for us to be formed in ways, to be transformed in ways that help us to get on mission. Now, when we say that, uh, I also want us to be really, really clear that we're not saying this, that first we get transformed, right, and then we get on mission. We're not saying, everybody sit back and relax and just wait to be transformed, 
right? And then when you're done being transformed, then you can get on mission. We're not saying that. What we are saying is that both of these things, God's work of transformation in our lives, uh, if you're sort of more theologically inclined and you like fancy words, God's work of sanctification in our lives, and God's work of calling us to join him on mission, work side by side, sort of like two feet moving forward, one after the other. And so we take a step of transformation. We experience God's healing in our life. We experience God's growth and God's work in our lives. And that increases our capacity to take another step on mission, to be more intentionally and thoughtfully obedient, to take a greater risk, to be more sacrificial. We get onto mission. And then we bump up against our limitations again, and so we take another step in the experience of transformation. And transformation, call to mission, transformation, call to mission. Both of those move us forward one step at a time, both feet operating together. So when we begin to live our lives in that way, one step, second step, one step, second step, when we begin to live our lives in that way, it will take us deeply into the world of transformation. And Jesus doesn't call us to keep living mostly the same life and then just add a few extra things on the side. That's the way that most of us operating just out of our first formation will think about getting onto mission. Most of us will think in terms of, I can keep doing mostly everything that I've always been doing. I can keep my life mostly the same. And then I'll just add a couple of other things on the side. And we're not saying that that's what we want to do. What we're saying is we want to be responsive to Jesus who says this in Luke chapter 9. Uh, Jesus says to the crowd, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must put aside your selfish ambition and shoulder your cross daily and follow me. You must put aside your selfish ambition. That selfish ambition is what comes out of that first formation that we all experience that bent towards self. You must put that aside and take up your cross daily and follow me. Shouldering a cross is not just something extra that you do. It's not, I'm going to keep my life pretty much the same and just carry around a cross. Putting a cross on my shoulder is a fundamental change in my identity. It is a fundamental change in who I am. And so what we want to say today is that we are not primarily or merely called to change, but rather we're called to transformation. We're not just called to change. We're not just called to tinker. We're called to transformation. And that's part of what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees and to the religious leaders in Luke chapter 5 when he's responding to a complaint that they have that Jesus' disciples aren't doing Judaism right. Luke chapter uh, 5, the very end of the uh, chapter, is our text for today. Listen to this in the context of everything that we just got done saying. Beginning at verse 33. The religious leaders complained that Jesus' disciples were feasting instead of fasting. They're not doing the right thing. John the Baptist's disciples always fast and pray, they declared, And so do the disciples of the Pharisees. Why are yours always feasting? And Jesus said, Do wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? Someday he will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. And then Jesus gave them this illustration. 
No one tears a piece of cloth from a new garment and uses it to patch an old garment. For then the new garment would be torn and the patch wouldn't even match the old garment. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. The new wine would burst the old skins, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. New wine must be put into new wineskins. And no one who drinks the old wine seems to want the fresh and the new. The old is better, they say. So the wineskins in Jesus' day were made out of goat or sheepskin. And the neck of the animal would have become the neck of the pout so that you could pour the wine uh, out of the skins. And if you had new wine that you had just made, you would put it into new wineskins because the process of fermentation was still going on. And if you put it into old wineskins, the skins would be more brittle and less elastic. And the process of fermentation was more likely to burst those skins that didn't have the capacity or the elasticity to expand and adapt to the fermentation process that was happening. Old skins would be more brittle, they would burst, and the wine would be lost. And what Jesus is saying is that he has come down to do more than just rearrange the furniture, to change the uh, landscape a little bit, but he is ushering in a whole new era. He's bringing something, he says, that is entirely new, and it will need new containers. It will take on new forms. And so we can't imagine that this life that Jesus is bringing is going to be poured into the same old way of doing things life that we enjoy. And that's why Jesus uses such extreme language when he says that we should take up our cross and that we should die to ourselves. And so the first thing that we're saying is this. If we are going to live the missional life, the missional life is always approached through transformation and not just through change. The missional life will always require transformation and not just change. So let me just give you a couple of examples to compare the two. Change is, um, I have some steps when I get angry that help me to manage my temper a little bit, right? I've learned how to cool off, I can go for a walk, uh, I can send out tweets, whatever it is that you do, right? Uh, whenever, whenever I get angry, I have some steps that I can take that help me to calm down. That would be change. Transformation, on the other hand, is something different transformation would be the things that used to make me get angry don't make me get angry anymore. The things that used to get me stirred up and charged up don't stir me up anymore. I don't have to worry about having a set of techniques or a set of practices that would calm me down. Let me give you a second example. A couple of weeks ago, uh, when we were talking about neighboring uh, we, I used the example of my uh, neighbor that I had at one time uh, named Robert. And Robert had some uh, medical challenges, and my wife was always telling me that I should go and spend time with Robert, and I should take Robert out sailing because we both were sailors and, and all of these things. And I was resistant to that. And if I was to look at my relationship to Robert through the lens of change or transformation, it would look like this. Change would be, I am going to just sort of white-knuckle it. Right? I'm going to just buckle down, and I'm going to go over there, and I'm going to spend some time with Robert. And uh, I'm, while I'm spending time with Robert, I'm going to be thinking about 
uh, this is really uncomfortable, this is really awkward, I wonder if he's going to have an episode, what would I do if he had an episode, would I look good, would I look bad, uh, um, I feel like I'm over my head, and then, as, then I'd be watching my clock, and as soon as that's over with, I'd be thinking, oh my goodness, thank, thank God, that's over with. That would be a change. It would be a change to say, I can, I can sort of muster up the energy and the willpower and set aside all of my fears and go and do the thing. That's change. Transformation would be this new life of the Spirit is so a part of who I am. That this new life that Jesus says he has come to bring and to pour into new wineskins is, is so powerful. And I'm so in touch with the heart of God and God's heart of love and compassion for Robert. That my deepest desire would be to join God in loving Robert and I wouldn't even notice if I was uncomfortable. Or I wouldn't even notice or worry about if I look good or if I look bad. That's the call to Transformation that my heart towards Robert is changed, that I'm a different person as I approach something challenging. For some of us, and for me most days, we're content with change. Change is hard enough. And so we might take on some new project in our schedule. We might say, I can serve a little bit at the open door, or I can be a tutor uh, I can do a couple of things. I can take on a new project in my schedule. Or I can take on a daily quiet time. Or I can, do, I can do some change. But then for the most part, as I do that change, my, my, my deepest fears and my deepest hopes and my, my fondest longings and my biggest dreams and my priorities and my bank account and my calendar and my schedule, all of that remains untouched. Because transformation is too costly. And so that's why Jesus has to say, if you're going to follow me, count the cost. If you're going to be my disciple, recognize that it will be costly. In our passage in Luke 5, Jesus acknowledges that for some of us, we will just simply say, I don't want the new wine. I don't want the new life that you're pouring out. I don't want to, I don't want to take that on because I'm, I'm satisfied with the old wine. Change is too much. Change is too costly. And so that's the second thing that we want to say. The first thing is, in order to get on mission, we have to experience transformation. We have to experience new life. The second thing is, that transformation will always be costly. It will always be costly. The truth is that transformation requires us to make a series of choices. There's going, to be a sac- there's going to be some sacrifice. And some of the things that we're sacrificing will not be bad things. Some of the things that we're called to sacrifice aren't, aren't bad things. They're, they're, they're good things. They're even good gifts from God. But in order to pursue what is the very best and what is the most valuable and what is the mission that God has placed in front of me and in front of us, I have to be willing to sacrifice some of those good things. And the challenge to sacrifice may stir up for you the realization that you don't want to be transformed. It may stir for you the realization that that you really don't want that to happen in your life. And the invitation is just simply to be aware of that, to recognize that resistance and and to wonder what is that resistance about. 
Where does that come from? Jesus says there is cost counting that we're invited to do. That we're invited to count the cost. And so we count the cost of, of what will I have to give up? What are the cherished things that I hold on to so tightly? How will my life be different? How will my life be reordered? How will my priorities be reset and recalibrated? Count that cost. But then the New Testament is also really clear to count the cost of not being transformed. See, there's a fallacy that we have that says, look, I can either stay the same, which is safe, or be transformed, which is costly. And the New Testament says that's a fallacy. That's, that's not the way that the world actually works. There is no such thing as staying the same, which is safe. The, 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 the difference is just simply between two different kinds of sacrifice. Right? There's, there's always going to be loss. There's always going to be pain. There's always going to be difficulty. In John 15, uh, we're given an image of uh, Jesus as the vine and you and I as the branches that are attached to Jesus. And what we're told is that the vines that are not intimately connected with Jesus, in other words, the vines that are not producing fruit, the vines that are not bearing the life of Jesus in the world, those branches are cut off and put into the fire. And that that doesn't just have to be an image of burning in hell, right? Uh, Mary Beth used earlier in our time of confession this idea of just a consuming fire that, 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 that the center of our life is missing, that there's some emptiness, that there's some sin, that there's some brokenness, that there's, that there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, uh, there's a, a secret, a, a habitual uh, turn towards self that produces in our spirit uh, the slow sort of simmering burn. And then he goes on to say, well, you might not want that, right? You don't want to be one of those vines that get lopped off and put into the fire. But then he goes on to say, and if you are connected to Jesus, if you are bearing fruit, if you are bearing the life of Jesus in the world, guess what? You're liable to be pruned, right? There's still some cutting that's going to happen. There's still some sacrifice. There's still the potential for suffering. There's difficulty and challenge in both cases, And so count the cost, yes, of transformation. Count the cost, yes, of pursuing a life of following Jesus. But then also count the cost of not doing that. And so number three, and we'll move very quickly through this. How then does that transformation work itself out in my life? How do I become somebody who lives and abides in the life of Jesus? Living in the life of Jesus, the life of Jesus living in me, it's an incredibly important concept. It's a concept that talks about sort of this organic connection between me and Jesus. The life of the vine flows into the life of the branch. It's uh, healthy and growing and fruitful branches. Those branches that bear the life of Jesus in the world have a continuous flow of life from the, the vine. It's not momentary, it's not sporadic, it's not once in a while, but this ongoing, continuous life of Jesus flowing into the vine. And so it's really interesting to me that uh, in this text, the context of Jesus' teaching is a dispute that the Pharisees and the disciples of Jesus are having about uh, spiritual practices 
It's a conversation about spiritual practices. There are two spiritual practices that get named uh, specifically, right? One is the practice of feasting, and the other is the practice of fasting. And they're debating which practice is most useful for experiencing the life of God. Now, when we talk about having spiritual practices, sometimes called spiritual disciplines, we're talking about spiritual practices, it's important for us to say that these are not practices that deny God's grace, but rather they're practices that help us to appropriate God's grace most fully in our lives. Uh, I talked a, a few minutes ago about sailing, right? And every sailor knows that you can't control the wind, right? My wife and I have two very different views about how much wind is the right amount of wind to have when we're out in the boat. Right? And I'm always looking for the switch that turns the level of wind up, and she's always looking for the switch that turns the level of wind back down again. Right, And there is no switch that controls the wind. The wind is all about God's grace. It's just a sheer gift. Right, The wind is uncontrollable, and it blows where it wants to. What you can do, though, is you can adjust your sails. You can adjust your sails in ways that uh, capture the wind most effectively and use the wind to move the boat. And when we talk about spiritual practices, what we're talking about is adjusting the position and the shape of our lives in ways that capture the wind of God's Spirit. Not to control it, not to demand it, not to turn it up or down, but just simply to recognize that the Spirit of God is always blowing through our lives. And as I position myself and trim myself and adjust myself in certain ways, I can become uh, uh, more susceptible to the work that, that, that God's Spirit wants to do in my life. And so some of the spiritual practices are practices that fall into the category of feasting. They're feasting practices, and they remind us of God's abundance and God's goodness and God's generosity. They're practices that deepen our joy and they deepen our delight. And so they're practices like celebrating Did you know that celebrating and partying really well is a spiritual practice? And that we're called to be people who celebrate really good. Things like worshiping, coming together and worshiping is a spiritual practice where we can be reminded of God's abundance and God's goodness as we join together with brothers and sisters. The practice of community is a spiritual practice that reminds us of God's love and care in really tangible ways through other people around us. Uh, Practices like friendship. Uh, uh, Some people talk about gardening as a spiritual practice that reminds us of God's abundance. Uh, Practices like scripture reading, where we're feasting on God's word, uh, serving one another, uh, playing together, playing really well and having fun, is a spiritual practice that reminds us that God's goodness is in control. And then there are other practices that are more in the category of fasting. And these are spiritual practices that help us to die to ourselves. These are practices that help us to get out of our own way. And spiritual practices in the category of fasting might include things like solitude, being alone, being by ourselves, They might include things like silence. And we experienced just a little taste of silence here a few moments ago. 
that might include fasting, not only from food, but from a whole variety of different things that are good and appropriate to have. But we can choose and, and in a disciplined way, set that aside for a season as we seek God's presence. The practice of Sabbath and the practice of submission and the practice of secrecy, all of those things are part of the way that we die to ourself and recognize God's uh, leadership and kingship over us. So when we think of spiritual disciplines, we're not thinking about um, something that is an end in and of themselves. Right? When we think about spiritual disciplines that uh, practices that form us and shape us for mission. We're not thinking about this is the end in and of itself. And if I do these things, if I check off all of these practices, then I'm a really good Christian, I'm a really good person, and God will really like me. Rather, we just receive these practices as gifts from God and recognize that God will use these practices to form us uh, in ways that are not just about change, but about transformation. How does that happen? Two things I want to say, and then we'll close. The first one is that spiritual practices are things that we can do over time that enable us eventually to do what we could not do by our direct effort. Spiritual practices are things that we can do over time to do things eventually that we could not do by our direct effort. And so, for example, if I say, I want to have more uh, peace in my life, right? Uh, having peace in my life is not something that I can work at by direct effort. And say, I'm going to be more peaceful. I'm trying to be more peaceful. Get out of my face. I'm trying to be more peaceful, right? You can't, you can't work at being peaceful by trying really hard to be peaceful. You work at being peaceful through indirect effort, uh, pursuing things like solitude and silence and listening and secrecy and worship and play. And as you pursue indirectly these spiritual practices, God begins to do in us this work of peacefulness that we can't do by direct effort on our own. In uh, 1 Timothy 4, 7, there's a great paraphrase that says this. It says, don't try, train. Don't try, train. Trying is not enough. Trying to be peaceful, trying to be less angry, uh, trying to be more loving, trying to get on mission, just trying, trying, trying isn't enough. The invitation is to train. And in that training, we're connected to a power that is much greater than our own power. We're connected literally to the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead. And we too can be raised. So the spiritual practices are how we train to do what we cannot currently do. And then the other way that spiritual disciplines work is that we're developing new and healthy habits. We're developing new and healthy habits. Have you ever noticed that even the most basic things that we do uh, require the practice of uh, multiple sets of habits? Uh, some of you, uh, I know, spend a little time golfing. Uh, this weekend already, and maybe you'll do a little bit more. And to have just a uh, uh, just a, a, a golf swing requires something like a hundred different habits that you have to sort of cultivate, right? To to have a decent swing, uh, we can't drive our cars effectively without cultivating a whole set of habits, right? I've watched two of my teenagers develop the habits of driving and, uh, and the things that are just automatic to somebody who's been driving for a long time. Uh, it takes a while to build those habits 
so that driving becomes something that is safe uh, and, and responsible uh, no matter what the conditions are on the road. And the spiritual life works the same way, right? If a golf swing and driving a car require habits, how much more does our spiritual life require a set of sort of habits that teach us and train us to pay attention and to listen to God? So we want to get into the position in our lives where we find ourselves meditating on Scripture and praying uh, to God and blessing our enemies and and loving our neighbors uh, without ever really even intending to do it. it. It's just the natural, reflexive response of my life. It's a habitual pattern that marks who I am as I've been transformed uh, through the use of these habits. So here's the invitation. Here's the invitation. Uh, Literally, everything that happens in the life of a congregation, not just this congregation, but any congregation, literally everything that happens in the life of a congregation, uh, whether that's coming to a worship service, or whether that's going to a small group, or whether that's going downstairs and teaching children, Uh, Whether that's serving meals on a Wednesday night, whether that's doing a fifth Sunday service project, whether that's going on a mission trip to Denver, uh, everything that we do here is about training. It's about cultivating these practices. It's about instilling these habits that form in us and produce in us a missional life, a mission-shaped life that is lived naturally and routinely without even thinking about it. But the trick is, for that formation to happen, I can't just show up and do the thing. I can't just show up and go to the service and check the box. I can't just go on the mission trip and check the box. It's to take the tool, it's to take the practice, and to be able to say, where is God in this? How is God speaking? How is God pushing me? How is God moving? Where is God uh, shaping me as I engage in this practice, in this habit, over and over and over again? How is God's Spirit blowing? Pay attention and adjust your sails and position your life in a way that you capture the, the work that God is wanting to do in your life. And then lean in to the full life that God has intended for you. As we step into this uh, habitual life of practicing the presence of God, of recognizing his spirit blowing through our life and adjusting ourselves to listen and to receive what God is doing. We are transformed, not just changed on the surface, but transformed deeply to receive the new life, the new wine that he's pouring in. Would you pray with me, please? Lord God, thank you for the gift of what is new. Thank you that we don't have to settle for what is old. We don't have to settle for what is um, broken. We don't have to settle for uh, living life with gaps and wounds and emptiness, but that we can be filled with uh, uh, your new life in ways that Uh, produce new life in us. So Lord, uh, I pray that um, wherever we are today in our use of spiritual practices, as we um, think about responding to your invitation to be people who are receptive to your work in thoughtful and intentional ways, that you would help us to take one more step, 
that you would help us to be um, engaged in one uh, new practice or an old practice in a new way that will help us to recognize and to experience the wind of your spirit blowing through our lives. Lord, thank you for all of these good gifts. In Jesus' name, amen.